I'm going to read you a couple things um, this morning. And uh, that's where the Holy Spirit took me. Exodus 28.1, you don't have to turn there. I'll just read this because if you want to turn somewhere, go to John 20. The Bible says, Then bring near to you Aaron, your brother, and, your, his, and his sons with him from among the people of Israel to serve me as priests. Aaron and Aaron's sons, Nadab and Abihu, Eleazar and Ithamar, you shall make holy garments for Aaron, your brother, for glory and for beauty. So pay attention to the fact that God is calling on them to make garments for Aaron that are for glory and for beauty. Because he wants those who serve him to be covered in glory and beauty. So think about this. This morning everybody's talking about, the Holy Spirit's talking about, how do you see yourself? You know, this brother read the scripture again, you're clean by the word. What do you see yourself? How do you see yourself? Do you know that people are the only animals, only created beings that have any self-awareness? A deer doesn't walk up to the pond and look in the pond and be like, man, I look good today. <laughs> I promise. I've watched deer in the, in the wild. And, you know, bucks, they fight during, during mating season. And it's called the rut. And a buck walks up and he fronts the other buck and he turns himself sideways to show that he's bigger. Just because he thinks he's bigger. And I've watched small bucks who have really bad attitudes run out really big bucks. Because the big ones didn't look in the pond and be like, Hey, I got the biggest antlers of the crew here. You know, I'm going to knock some people down. See, animals don't have self-awareness. God created us in His image. He has self-awareness. So we have it. And by self-awareness, we're not supposed to be self-centered at all. The gospel came to make us anti-self-centered. It made us to be others-centered. First of all, Christ-centered, and others-centered secondly, and then thirdly, ourselves. And so, the emotions you have, the emotions I have, don't ever claim them as God giving them to you. You learned your emotional state from the world you lived in. You learned how to be upset. You learned how to be grumpy. You learned how to be angry. God didn't give you those emotions. And to say, well, God created me with these emotions, that's wrong. It's the way that seems right to a man. So your emotional state, like Ashley said and other people have said, your emotional state is not who you are. How you feel isn't who you are. And what's going on inside of you is not who you are. How you behaved in the last four minutes is not who you are. Who you are is who Christ sees you as. Because you could be the rebel like Keith Shepard and you could be shooting up with drug dealers in Texas right now, not knowing that one day you're going to be a son of God. So who you are isn't even defined by what you're doing in the current state that you're in. So when you see lost people in the world, you don't define them by what you see them doing or how you see them behaving. You define them by the fact they have intrinsic value in Jesus. And they're just awaiting the day that they'll walk into the kingdom of God. Right? So there's such room for that. So in the, in the high priest, God said, set him apart for me. I'm going to make garments for him that will be for glory and for beauty. Right? We are priests unto our God. All right. If we're priests unto our God, you have to see yourself clothed in glory and beauty constantly. I mean, 100% of the time. I mean, so much 100% of the time that when you're in the middle of a willful act of your own disobedience before the Lord, you have to see that he clothed you with his glory and his beauty. And repentance is really fast when you see yourself that way, because you're like, I don't want to keep living outside of who I am and what I'm clothed in. See, that's the that's the pull of God. He's not. He's not condemning you. He's, he's drawing you because you're drawing nearer to Him. 
with real believing that, you know what, I'm clothed with glory and beauty. So watch what he says. You shall speak to all the skillful whom I have filled with the spirit of skill. They make Aaron's garments to consecrate him for my priesthood. These are the garments that they shall make. A breastpiece, an ephod, a robe, a coat of checkerwork, a turban, and a sash. They shall make holy garments for Aaron your brother and his sons to serve me as priests. They shall receive gold, blue, and purple, and scarlet yarns, and fine twined linen. They shall make the ephod of gold, of blue, and purple, and scarlet yarns, and, there's an addition, and of fine twined linen. All right? So the garment that God chose to be created for glory and for beauty is of linen. All right? It's what it was being made out of. So, at some point, the high priest, so if you read about the high priest, the purpose of the high priest was to serve God by serving man. The high priest was established for this reason. Carry before me the judgment of the people. Serve the people by being the representative in my face of their sin. So the high priest was actually the lowest position in the nation of Israel. It was the one who represented sin before God so that God didn't have to look at the people as sin. You get it? So he clothed this priest with glory and beauty to become sin before God so God could dwell with Israel without seeing them as sin. Sounds kind of familiar. That's the purpose of these garments that the priest is clothed in. So here's how humanity works. You're clothed in garments of glory and beauty. And now you begin to think of yourself as glorious and beautiful. You think of yourself as higher than those around you. So much so that the, that the, that the priesthood in Israel, the high priest became the most powerful man in Israel. It wasn't supposed to be that way. He was supposed to be the most submitted serving man in Israel. He was supposed to represent sin before God continuously so the people were set free. What did he do? He took what God gave him, perverted it, and made himself higher than other people. So much so that in, in Mark chapter 12, Jesus warns, he said, Beware of those who wear long robes, who are clothed in these clothes, and walk around in the streets and in the marketplaces, seeking out a greeting in the best seats in the places. Why? Because those people think of themselves more highly than they are. They took what God gave them, perverted it, used it for self-glorification, and then became elitists, pushing down everyone below them. It's the opposite of the intention of God. The intention of God was that the high priest would be at the lowest position in Israel so that Israel could keep being, becoming what God created it to become. And so, kingdom leadership, guys, <coughs> is just like the high priesthood. For me to be a leader in this church means I have to have sobriety and understand that I'm here to serve you. I'm here to celebrate you. Pastors aren't here to be elevated. Pastors, elders in the church of Christ are to be lower and to be 
willing to bear a burden that would lift up and build up everyone there around. That's why he says, not many of you are to be teachers. Not many of you are to be lifted up because you will be judged more strictly. That if you take on the responsibility, the strictness of God's judgment is you take on the responsibility. And if you use it for yourself, you'll quickly fall into condemnation. You'll quickly fall into law. And here's why. You begin to raise yourself up. And now you think your performance is the thing that's bringing God's glory. That's how it works. That's why you have churches in America and around the world that have thousands and thousands and thousands of people who are following one man. And if one man falls, they fall apart. It's not supposed to be that It's supposed to be the body supports itself. So that means in, in every place there should, be a, there should be a support center that can man, maintain. Guys, I'm going to be honest with you. I could not be an elder over thousands and thousands and thousands of people. It's impossible. Because I could never pray for thousands and thousands and thousands of people. I can intercede for only so many people. I have only so much time in a day. I can intercede for you. I can intercede in this place. But for me to just become, think of my performance as about a bunch of people following me is doing what the high priest did, raised himself higher than he was supposed to be raised and fell in his own lack of glory in reality. See, glorious positions in the kingdom. So here's what kingdom leadership does. It always empowers. And I'll prove it to you. Christ came as, as, God in, on, as God in humanity. He was the most powerful. He's still almighty God. He still, he could have called legions of angels. He could have done anything at any moment with the relationship he had with the Father. And he chose not to. Philippians 2 says that he set it all down. He released it all. Did not take a hold of his divinity. And he lived as a man dependent on the Holy Spirit. And his leadership is the example because he's the revelation of the Father in heaven. So he's revealing the Father. His leadership is our example. Leadership in the kingdom always takes the people around you who don't have destiny, gives, it, gives them destiny, and then empowers them to fulfill destiny. Yeah. Which means create a platform for them to have destiny. Yeah. Right? Because a lot of people will say that. They'll say, I, I want to I raise up leaders. Wrong. You never give them a platform to speak. That's right. It happened to me in, in a big, big church in Clearwater, Florida. Is I'm... I'm I'm there and I'm serving in the church and I had a, we had a large life group and, and there was a lot of people getting baptized and, and they were like, you know, you need to baptize, we're going to baptize these five people or whatever. And uh, yeah, and all the people were like, Justin, will you baptize me? And I was like, yeah, that's great, you know, and went to the leadership of the church, you know, the executive and the assistant and the hire and I don't even remember how many there were. And, uh, and they're like, great, yeah, we'll do this baptism service. And I show up that morning. And uh, the guy grabs a microphone, you know, the cordless mic. And there's a thousand, thousands of people in this church. So he hooks me up with the microphone and the robe. And we walk out there. And first person comes down. And I'm like, welcome, everybody. And, you know, and I, I just did this thing. And Jordan comes down. I got to baptize her that morning, you know. And it was just a precious time. Like, it was her and a lot of my friends. We baptized. And, you know, it was just, it was amazing, you know. And uh, that was it. You know, it was really uneventful. And then I walked, I got out of there. And this executive pastor runs up to me. He's like, I'm so sorry. And I'm like, what? He's like, I know I was supposed to be here. You're like, you're not supposed to have the microphone. You know, like, you're not supposed to be able to speak in front of the people. I'm so sorry about that. And I was like, oh, it's cool. And then, and then the executive, the, the, the top pastor came to me like afterwards. He's like, yeah, that ain't happening again. 
And I was like, hey, I'm, you know, I, I didn't know no one was up there. Like, you know, it's just so they're preparing people for the work of the Lord, but they don't want people to do the work of the Lord in front of the people that they do the work of the Lord in front of. That's scary and dangerous. That's why this family is so important, guys. That's why what you bring on Sunday morning, Thursday night, anytime we're together, you need to bring what you bring. Because if you don't bring what you bring, you don't grow. You leave wondering whether you have faith or not. Well, I saw this and I should have shared it. And you share it and boom, somebody says, yeah, across the room, I saw the same thing. I saw my house getting cleaned. I saw the bloody footprints. I saw that too. Guys, we sat around a fire on Friday night and I realized this. I used to prepare and plan for Bible studies and I would have times of camping, whatever. And we'd sit around and it's like, everyone turn to Psalm 107. I'm going to give you three points, you know. And, and it's good. Like you can get things out of the word of God. But let me tell you something. When you sit around a fire with a bunch of people who are filled with the spirit and the word of God, you get more scripture out of conversation than you get it out of trying to do a Bible study. You get more scripture here this morning when people are just sharing their hearts than you do out of like trying to pre-plan. Because why? The word of God is in us. He's with us. He's in me. I'm one with him. And so when I have a conversation, he comes out of me. Right? And that's what's exciting and powerful about the kingdom of God. So we need to erase all these ideas we have about what we're doing and just let God reform us and reshape us. Have a conversation. Share what's burning in your heart. It's burning in your heart because he wants your faith to go up. The moment you release it, your faith goes up. Yeah. yeah, and that's what's going to happen, guys. I'm telling you, across the nation, it's going to keep going. People are going to get faith. They're going to keep rolling with their faith. They're going to live it six days a week. And then they're coming on the seventh and share what happened that entire week. Yeah. It's going to be over and over and over and over and over. And the kingdom will really advance. So check this out. When Jesus chose the men that he chose, they had little or no destiny. They're fishermen. All they have is fishing. All they have to do is survive until they die. By catching enough fish to have enough food and to, and to clothe themselves and clothe their families and that's it. I'm going to fish and I'm going to die. That's it. And Jesus shows up and says, follow me. Come on. To people with no destiny, Jesus has a lot to offer. Yes. Hallelujah. See, and you are Jesus on planet earth. Which means you are the release for somebody because of your increase. See, as God increases you in the kingdom, it's for the release of others. Think about that. Your increase is someone's release. You get more Jesus means you set more people released into their destiny and purpose. That's awesome. That's the kingdom of God. And that's what fires me up about this is that he's called you to serve. He didn't call you to be served by the gospel. He called you to serve. Period. Be love. Period. You know, and Dan Miller talks about it a lot. And he's just like, you know, people are like, well, you don't understand. You don't need to understand. You just need to be love. That's right. There's no, there's no excuse in the Bible. There's no excuse in the kingdom for you not to be love. If you believe the gospel, it means you have to be love. And you'll become love as you live out what God has promised. So when Jesus increases you. Leadership, and you guys are all being increased in leadership. As he's increasing your leadership, it's because he wants to release even more people through you. So always think of this way. I'm a leader in the kingdom, which means I'm to empower and celebrate everybody I encounter. Whether or not they behave correctly, whether or not they live like me, whether or not they have this or have that or do this or do that. You are there to... Because why? Jesus didn't look at Peter who was a jacked up mess sometimes and be like, well, I'm going to stop your destiny because you're not conforming to my image immediately right now in this place. 
There would be zero Bible teachers in the United States or anywhere in the globe if you had to arrive at perfection before you could disseminate what Jesus does through the Word of God. Zero. So if there's no room for error, then there's no room for anyone to teach. Ever. Just shut them all up and sit them all down. Because when perfection has come, Christ would be the only one that could teach on this planet. So what does He do? He used broken, messed up people who have broken, messed up theology, and He lets them share from the heart by faith, and as they do it, He grows them and grows everybody else, even taking what you say wrong, twisting it, turning it, and putting it in the heart of somebody right. That's how good God is. That's how big the Holy Spirit is. That's why I can preach to a 60-year-old theologian the same way I can preach to a 6-year-old, because God is God, and the Holy Spirit can teach them both in that moment with the same word. That's power. That's who the that's what the resurrected gospel means. So he's been increasing me and he's been making me aware. I'm increasing me in you, Justin, because I'm gonna empower a lot more people. Hallelujah. I'm gonna release a lot more people. Like you don't even know who's gonna be released. You don't even know the way the where they're gonna end up and what they're gonna do with their lives. But you're gonna empower them. And I'm telling you, that's the word for you too. See, Good Friday was the start of good things in your life. And good things not to make you bigger, better, more powerful in humanity. Good things in making you more like Jesus, which will release more people that you live around. I'm telling you guys, like this is a season, marked season that Jesus has come. He told me this. He said, expect the good things of God in your life and keep expecting it. And some of that came out even Friday night as guys shared their heart, the depths of their heart, things they've concealed and hid for years and years. You know what? And a lot of times the church thinks, well, when you, when you share something that's been concealed in your heart, that's when everyone looks down on you. Jesus looks up on you when you do that because he's promoting you to a higher level in him. So the church should get its eyes screwed on, right? And say, you know what? When you confess your sins, I see you going closer and higher to Jesus. I don't see you going further away from him. Why would you confess something you're struggling with if you wanted to get? No, you're coming up. You're growing higher. You're going from glory to glory. So get real and get honest and let him draw you to where he wants to draw you. Don't hide it from him and have rottenness in your bones, which will destroy you. Keep you under condemnation. So the empowerment of Jesus... You're going to empower and propel people forward. So here's what Jesus did. He increased in death. Hmm. Isn't that awesome? His increase was found in death. Darkest day of Jesus' life. When the Father turned His face away from Him. Never had been separated from his father. Never had known what it was like to not be one with him. Never, ever, not for all of eternity, had ever been apart from the love of his father. And he got one moment and the father turned his face away from him. And complete separation between Jesus and the father. Jesus had to go to that cross with faith. Knowing that God was going to turn away from him. And trusting that God was going to raise him from the dead. He had to do it by faith, just like you have to do everything you do by faith. And in faith, he believed that he would be raised again. And he was raised again. And his increase came. And when he got his increase, immediately what did he begin to do? Reveal himself to the people who loved him. He, revealed him, he didn't reveal himself to Peter and John first. They ran to the tomb to see where he was at. In John chapter 20, Mark chapter 12, Luke chapter 20. They ran to see him. They loved him. They loved Jesus. But Mary loved Jesus. 
Whoever was forgiven much loves much. And Jesus chose that Mary would be the first one that he would reveal himself to. But I want to point out something. I'm just going to talk through the scriptures. You guys mind that? Like if I tell you to turn and go all that places, like I just don't want to distract. It's all in the Bible. What I'm talking about, you can check it out later. But in, in, in John, see Jesus, when he, when he, when he, when he came to Mary, she, she could not recognize him. There was an inability for Mary to recognize Jesus, even though she loved him desperately and deeply and spent lots of time with him. She thought he was the gardener. Do you guys know that? Remember the scripture? She turned and thought he was the gardener and begins to whine about what happened. And so she's telling him, like, I'm sad and I'm, I'm messed up about this thing that happened. And all he did was say her name. Yes. Mary. And she knew. Mm-hmm. Then Jesus goes and another time and he, and he, and he comes in the, into the upper room and, the, and there's disciples that are waiting on the Lord and they're praying and they're seeking his face. And he, he just appears. The doors are locked because they're afraid of the Jews. Remember, that's what the Bible says. These doors are locked because we're afraid of the Jews. And here Jesus shows up and what does he say? Peace be with you. And what happens? They don't believe it. They're like, we're seeing the spirit or we're seeing something, but we don't know what we're seeing. And Jesus said, no, look. See my scars? Guys, do you have some bread or some fish around here? Like, I'll eat it and I'll show you. Like, I'm not a spirit. I'm not anything. He was unrecognizable. Okay? So resurrected Jesus was unrecognizable. It happened again on the road to Emmaus. Here you have disciples of Jesus, two men that are unnamed, are walking on the road to Emmaus. And they're sad and down because it's the third day. Mary has already told them that, that there's no one in the tomb. And they're depressed, heading off to Jerusalem. Heading off the other way from Jerusalem to Emmaus. Jesus comes up alongside of them. What's going on, guys? And they're like, haven't you heard? Don't you understand? Don't you know that Jesus the Christ, who was supposed to save Israel, they're telling this to Jesus. And he's unrecognizable. But they knew him and they knew of him. And then it happens again. He comes to the disciples on the, on the morning that, that Peter and everybody goes out fishing. They're out fishing and he's making breakfast for them on the shore. They see him on the shore. And what does he say? Children, have you caught any fish? They're like, no. And they didn't know that it was the Lord. And they all come ashore. And then John says, he says, cast your nets on the other side. And immediately they hoist in so much fish. They think the nets are going to break. And John says, it's the Lord. Not because they recognized him, but because he remembered the Father. Jesus was the one who told us to throw the nets on the other side. Jesus was the one who brought the catch. That's the Lord. Peter throws his coat on, jumps out of the boat, goes to shore. This time not on the water, in the water, because he wants to get there. They all are standing on the shore. And Jesus built a fire for them to sit around. Coals burning right there. He says, bring some of your fish. And the Bible says this, none of them dared ask who it was. They just knew it was the Lord. Which means the only reason you would ask who it is, if you're one of the persons that loves him the most, is because you can't recognize him. So when Christ came in resurrection, he was unrecognizable because he died under the law. He died as sin under the law, raised to life as grace and truth. Yes, yes, yes. To a mindset of law, grace and truth are unrecognizable. How hard, that, see what I'm telling you? When people are like, I really struggle with the grace thing. 
Well, then you just keep loving them and you keep pressing it into them because their law mindset has to get changed. Just like Mary's law mindset had to be changed. The disciples' law mindset. And how did it get changed? By feeding them breakfast. How did it get changed for the people in Emmaus? By breaking bread with them. How did, it get, how did it get changed in Mary's life? By speaking her name. Yes. Yes. Here's the deal, guys. The church of Jesus Christ is going to rise up because people who are, have a law mindset are saved by grace but have a law mindset are going to have Jesus encounter them through you and they're going to be delivered, set free from all their striving and performing and bitterness because Christ is really walking around with bloody footprints all over the United States of America. That's going to be revival. See, that, it has to be. It has to be grace. It's not about us performing in any way. So this is what's so powerful to me. As Jesus increases in his, bar- in his death and resurrection, all that he did when he came to life was he re-empowered original created value. He empowered original created value. In the moment of his resurrection, he married you and God in a oneness that you can't break yourself out of. By your believing what he said about you, you were married to God with oneness in you that cannot be separated. Empowered all of creation. See, somebody asked me this weekend about the book of life. They're like, what about the book of life? Because it says if your name could be blotted out of it. Yeah, because it's his will that no one should perish, but that everyone should come to everlasting life. So everybody's names are in the book of life. Only in the moment of somebody's death who doesn't believe does the name get blotted out. Because it's God's intention that nobody should perish. He gave them life. If there's life in a womb, if there's life in a baby, there's life in a person, then He gave them life and expects they'll come into the kingdom of God. Anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's invitation to anyone who calls on the name of the Lord to be saved. I don't have to try to figure out how does God figure it out. I don't. All I have to know is what the Word of God says. Anyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. So what he did was he wrote everybody's name down. He empowered everybody in the resurrection of his life. He even empowered the ones who were in the grave because he went to the grave and he preached the gospel to those in the prison in chains and said, now's your time. Now's your time. And he led a host of captivity captive in his train up into glory. He said, Mary, don't touch me. I haven't been to heaven. I haven't glorified it yet, but I will come back. Come on. That's what Jesus did. He empowered you to have your created value 100% restored to you. When you have your created value 100% restored to you, you actually believe the divine nature of Jesus is in you. And you actually act like it. You actually have authority to move weather patterns. You actually have authority to change physical conditions in people's bodies. You have authority to, to create destiny for people as you prophesy the destiny forward in their lives. That's Jesus in you. The hope of glory, Jesus in me. Jesus in you. The hope of glory. Clothe them with garments for glory and beauty. The hope of glory. Jesus in me. I'll never be clothed in garments for glory and beauty if I don't have Jesus in me. So when 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 the garments of glory and beauty are on me, I know it's Christ. I don't have this weird false humility like, oh, I know, it's Jesus. Yeah, he knows it's him. I know it's him. I don't have to say that. Like, they're like, man, you, you, that word you shared, I'm like, thank you. Because Jesus is just that good. He would use a frail, broken vessel like me who was so jacked up that I would rebel and hate him for all of my life. He would restore me and then somehow put greatness in me to be able to release his greatness to other people. And how do, how do I have anything to do with that? How am I going to boast in anything that he did? I'm going to boast in that? No, I'm going to tell you, Jesus, right? Thank you, Jesus. 
Again and again and again. So false humility is for the trash can. He clothed me with glory and beauty so that He could be glorified. And when you glorify Jesus, people know it's Him. You don't have to tell them. And in fact, if they think it's you, it probably was you. And they're just flattering you. Right? You know when Jesus is... I can feel it in the room. Y'all know when Jesus is speaking. That's how it is. And so... I want, I want to show you guys something about his unrecognizableness. Um, in, in, uh, I'm going to read this, John chapter 20. I think. Thank you, Jesus. You guys, this is so fun. Resurrection. Come on, Jesus. All right. John chapter 20. Now, on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early, while it was still dark, and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not where they, have, where they have laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple, and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. That's for you, just, just so you know, John is faster than Peter. <laughs> and uh, so, you know, the Lord wanted, wanted you to know too. The Lord, you know, he, he made John faster than Peter. So that's why the Holy Spirit's like, include it. You know, I made John faster than Peter. So, so Peter went out to the other disciples. And he said, and stopping to look, stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there. But he didn't go in. Then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloths lying there. And the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head. Not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went in, and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture, that he must rise from the dead. And the disciples went back to their homes. The high priest was wrapped in linen. In Israel, the high priest's clothes are made out of linen. Jesus walked on planet Earth wearing clothes of either wool or cotton. Because linen was for the dignitaries by the time that he was around. Linen was expensive. See, the high priest's ephod was formed out of like one solid piece of fabric clasped together. Jesus wore ripped strips. Of linen in death. The high priest condemned Jesus to his death. See, the high priest who bore the sin of the people before Israel was the voice, Caiaphas, who called for the condemnation of Jesus. So the high priest who was supposed to bear the sin of the people turned and found this. Lowly rabbi cursed him, <laughs> condemned him to death. And in death, Jesus wore the ripped linens of the high priest. And check this out. The high priest didn't just have an ephod. The high priest had a turban. <clears throat> and you know when, that, when the turban was made out of linen? What was, what the, there was a golden plate that sat on the front of the turban and it said... Holy unto the Lord. And in scripture, the Holy Spirit points out the face cloth of Jesus was laid separate. 
holy unto the Lord is separate unto God. Jesus was holy unto the Lord in his death. When he rose again and the face cloth that was on him, the linens of his face, he folded and set beside him, separate from the death clothes. Because he brought himself to a holiness in the Lord. You see, Jesus in his death destroyed everything the high priest stood for in Israel. Because he became the lowest of all men, even to the point of death. And he actually fulfilled what the high priest was supposed to be fulfilling his entire journey. From the day that it was in, started with Aaron until the day Jesus died. So when Jesus said, I didn't come to abolish the law, I came to fulfill the law. He fulfills it on every point. That even so much so that the clothes he's wrapped in, the glory and beauty before God is torn linen soaked in blood. That's glory and beauty before God. Because it's a payment for the sin that needed to be paid for and was not ever paid for prior to that time. And so Jesus being holy before the Lord in in Hebrews chapter 4, the Bible talks about this as he became the high priest for us. Hebrews 4 says this. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. (laughs) Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. So we are finding the grace and the mercy we need because he's our high priest. For every high priest chosen from among men is appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. He can deal gently with the ignorant and wayward since he himself is beset with weakness. Because of this, he's obligated to offer sacrifice for his own sins just as he does for those of the people. No one takes this honor for himself, but only when when called by God just as Aaron was. So also Christ did not exalt himself to be made a high priest. But was appointed by him who said to him, you're my son. Today I have begotten you. And as he says also in another place, you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverence. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him. Being designated by God a priest after the order of Melchizedek. Do you guys realize that you are called to be a priest unto God? You're appointed. That's same. See, 1 John 4 says that as he is, so are we. When it says that Jesus is a great high priest, you have the same calling and appointment that Jesus has. You're one with him. Which means, that's why in John chapter 22, 21, he said, whoever sins you forgive, they will be forgiven them. Yes. That you are the operation of Jesus on, the planet, on planet Earth. As a high priest in you, you are continue being the exact thing he told us to be in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Right? You are working a work for the, for the gospel that is to the lost. You're an ambassador for Christ. Either you are or you're not. 
And so as a high priest lives in you, you don't have to offer sacrifices day in and day out. See, people think that by the failure in their behavior, they have to do something to earn themselves back into a place with God. That's the old system that Jesus tore up in the linen claws and died and buried in a grave. You don't wake up today and hope that you don't screw up a whole bunch. And then if you do, you get to your bed at night and get on your knees and make sure you say seven prayers that are going to fix what you did during the day. Everything you'll ever do was a future wrong before God when Jesus, when you were still a sinner, Christ died for you. Demonstrated his love for you. Everything you'll ever do wrong from here to the rest of your time on planet earth is forgiven in his blood. That's identity. That's created value. That's where you don't want to walk down a wrong path. But when you do stumble down a wrong path, you have an advocate, even Christ himself, who stands before the father and says, he's covered under my blood. She's covered under my blood. Constantly, argue, constantly defeating the enemy who's the accuser of the brethren and overcoming whatever accusation he brings about you to the Father. Jesus stands in the way and says, wrong, he's mine. And God doesn't look at you. He looks at Jesus and the sacrifice of his blood. See, that's what this means. You can actually live your entire Christian life with a clean conscience. And you should. And if you don't, it's because you don't believe in the power of the blood of Jesus. You should leave every day with a clear conscience before God because you know that the sacrifice of Jesus was sufficient. Amen. See, you can't have peace with God, which Romans 5 says Jesus gave you, if you think God's going to be mad at you tomorrow. Because no one's going to live tomorrow sinless. I don't care who they think they are. At some level and at some degree, you're going to be impatient. You're going to be rude. You're going to remember a wrong. Love doesn't remember wrongs. Love doesn't seek for itself. I'm just telling you, there's a place in your journey, in your life, that there will be a time you're going to seek yourself. Zero humanity will live the rest of their existence in, in sinlessness. But all of humanity can live the rest of their existence in righteousness. It's amazing. It's, it's the most amazing thing that I've ever encountered in my entire life. Is that I am the righteousness of God in Christ, even when I'm missing the mark. Even when I haven't capitalized and figured it out and perfected it, I'm still the righteousness of God in Christ. And see, that's so hard for Christians who have been trained in a law mindset to see because it's unrecognizable. It's Jesus who's come to you and it's unrecognizable because what's recognizable is your efforts creating for you your destiny. It's his efforts that created your destiny. (laughs) So Jesus didn't just tear the veil, guys, when he died. Between the holiest place in the temple, he tore the robes of pride. Tore the robes of pride. He tore the robes of elitism. He tore the robes of religion. He tore it all in his death, right? So he's holy to the Lord. He's set apart. The resurrection means I can lead, an empower, I can, I can lead by empowering those around me and bearing them on my heart. We're made one with the great high priest. And as John 1 4 says, he, as he is, so am I in this world. Yes. Yes. Real revival is going to be marked by peace and humility. Yes. Peace. People really being at peace. Because yes. see, a person at peace can actually fulfill what God's dreamt for them to fulfill. Yes. A person not at peace is trying to always achieve peace. Yes. Right? I'm not at peace. I got to figure out how do I get my peace? 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 And your whole life is just this big circle of trying to survive. When you're at peace, you're like, how do I dream? Where do we go? What do we do, God? 
What things do you want to do? Who do you want to empower? Who do you want to encounter? All right? That's, that's Jesus. I mean, that's, that's who he is and what he's doing. So I've never, I mean, the Lord's so cool to me because I've never shared a Resurrection Day m- message coming out of Exodus chapter 28. But I was like, hey, you know, Jesus is so good. He just has fulfilled all these things for us. And he wants us to see who we are right now clothed in him. He is our glory and our beauty. He is what clothed us. But he, did, he, he said this, and a lot of people have this issue. They say, but, but the Bible says God will share his no glory. He doesn't share his glory with any other. And you're right. That prior to Jesus, humanity was different than God. He couldn't share glory with something different than himself. So in, in, in Isaiah chapter 46, when he says, I'll share my glory with no other, he's saying, I'm God and I'm so different than you. See, fear of the Lord in the Old Testament is God's so different than man that man had to be afraid because there was only condemnation if he screwed up. See, so the fear of the Lord came because the people are afraid he's gonna, God's going to be mad. And he, and he is. His wrath is there for those that don't believe. But when Jesus came, the fear of the Lord is oneness with Jesus. People are like, well, where's the fear of the Lord in the New Testament? It's oneness with Jesus. Nobody fears the Lord better than Jesus. Are you you telling me that you're going to fear the Lord better than Jesus fears the Lord? Wrong. You're going to pervert what the fear of the Lord is. You be one with Christ and you will fear the Lord. And when you're one with Christ and you get a little too buddy-buddy with God and start whining and complaining and thinking he should be your genie in the bottle, he'll show up and he'll help you understand that he's God. I mean... You don't need your friend to tell you that. You just be one with him. He'll come and be like, hey, Justin, do you remember? <laughs> yes, I do. I love you. You know, like, thank you. Thank you for, there's no condemnation in it. He just comes and says, hey, I am. That's what he said, right? And it's the love and empowering. Like if, if the Lord is correcting you, you'll be empowered. Every time. But if you ever feel pushed down and condemned, it's not the Lord. And here's the big, one big lie in the body of Christ. The Holy Spirit's here to convict us. Well, if you stop there, it's either right or wrong. But here's what I hear a lot of Christians say. Holy Spirit's here to convict us of our sin. Wrong. John 16 says, The Holy Spirit is come to convict believers of righteousness. Because in your own heart, even when your heart condemns you, God is greater than your heart. When you are one with Jesus and start to miss the mark, your heart says, you're missing the mark. Holy Spirit shows up and goes, you're the righteousness of God in Christ. Come back. Live like it. Right? The Holy Spirit doesn't show up like you just lied. And the Holy Spirit doesn't come next to you like, you're a liar. The devil will. You lie, the devil will roll right up on you and be like, man, you are a liar. And now you're condemned. Right? When Christ corrects you, I'm telling you, it's always to empower you. Always to bring you to a bigger place, a higher place, a further place. That's what Josh shared. He's speaking to your destiny. In Jesus' correction, you will always go higher. So if you feel oppressed and pushed down, just tell that thing where to go. Straight back to hell. Go to hell, because I am in Christ. I'm not going to argue with Jesus. Right, brother? (laughs) Woo!